Tagovailoa trying to make up for it. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Cologne looking for his first hit of the year. Oh. He drives one! Deep left field! That goes Upton! Back near the wall! It's out of here! <laughs> Bartolo has done it! There's only one word that comes to mind. Greatness. What is up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Red Shirt Podcast. Um, today, um, sticking with, I feel like recently I've had a lot of uh, Kansas-related guys. Um, I have former uh, Kansas University pitcher, um, uh, 2016 All-Big 12 first team, um, current pitcher in the Cleveland Indians organization, left-hander Ben Krauth. How are you doing? What's up, Jeremy? Thanks for having me on here, buddy. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm happy to be here, and I, uh, you know, I'm excited to get going. Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, this episode's gonna be a little different. Um, just kind of gonna go back and forth with some questions for Ben. Um, you know, most most high profile high profile guy we've had on so far. Just kind of get some insight, um, from him. You know, as a as a baseball player and just as a person, really. So, um, we'll get it going. My first question is, obviously you're going to have, um, your trend, you know, there are going to be differences from each level, um, you play. Um, but how do you see the transition differ from high school to college versus like college to the pros? Well, first of all, Jeremy, I'm going to say thank you for that awesome introduction. (laughs) You know, I, I don't think of myself as a high profile person. So, uh, we got to get some other people on here for you. (laughs) Let's do it. So, uh, no, that's funny. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, no, I'm happy to be on here and, uh, yeah, let's get started. So basically going from high school, I went to junior college right out of high school. So I wasn't necessarily a very highly recruited player out of high school. So, um, I actually saw a little bit less of a transition than most players coming out of high school to college. Um, whereas, you know, they're moving away from home. They have to deal with new teammates and a new potential like state that they're living in all new coaches everything their life basically gets you know flipped upside down out of high school whereas i still lived at home going to my local junior college a lot of my teammates from high school were actually on my team at dvc and you know it it felt like a nice transition because i was able to go to the same strength coaches um i was able to go to the same pitching coaches that i worked with and it felt like just honestly like a exalted high school, you know, but it was, it was actually really fun. It was a great stepping stone to get to that division one level. Um, it was a, a chance for me to grow and learn a lot about what the next level is about. You know, you still face a lot of really good players. And so um, it was, it was a chance to you know, be a, a team leader. It was a chance to, you know, like, like I said, get myself better, adapt to the college game, figure out how, to get hitters out at the next level, you know, all those things that you don't realize you don't know, you know, until you get there and you fail and you, you get hit around or you, you know, you get into a fight with a teammate, you realize these things that are important, you know? And so I think that actually bridged the gap really well for me when I went to the division one level at Kansas. And I mean, you're playing in the big 12 and that actually, that, that shock factor kind of did happen to me at first, you know, my first game at the division one level was against Alex Bregman and the LSU Tigers at Alex Box Stadium. So that was like, wow, you know, this, I couldn't imagine how some of the freshmen were feeling, 
So I was really lucky that I got that junior college step first. Um, and to be honest, going from college to pro baseball, I felt like I was overprepared based on what Kansas had done for me. You know, they, I had dealt with so many different types of people at school and, um, we traveled across the country on airplanes and buses and, you know, eating in different restaurants and then you just learn things about yourself on, on, you know, travel and trips like that. So when I got, when it got time to be in pro ball, you know, when I was meeting all these new people, it was like, yeah, man, get in the lineup. Let's play. Like, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's figure this thing out together, you know? And so, um, I will say the difference, biggest difference between pro ball and college though, is the resources, you know, in, in college, there's really good players who are gifted and talented, and sometimes they haven't put it all together. And so it's really on you to figure yourself out and make sure that you're you're good to go by game day. Whereas in pro ball, you have a lot of people that there to help. You know, all you got to do is ask. And they've got technology, they've got video, they've got, um, you know, so many different types of things that you can use. And, and it's honestly like if you aren't getting better, it's kind of on you. You know, you need to be able to to learn and adapt and, and just improve on your own with the help of others. Yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. Um, at that point, um, obviously, as you develop, it's going to more so you got to take it upon yourself. And once you get to that pro level, it makes sense to have more resources around you. Just got to figure out how to utilize it. And so the junior college thing, I, I was doing a little bit of research on you. I wanted to make sure I had all my facts straight. Um, dominated at the junior college level. And it's something that, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Um, when you go to a junior college program, you're still, you know, getting an education. Um, and you're getting to play the sport you love, getting to play baseball. Um, it is kind of that middle step stone. You, you're going up a level, but a lot, it's not as much of a shock. Like you said, you were close to home or living at home. Um, and then you're moving up to... Um, the D1 level, which regardless, whenever you're making a move, it's going to be, you know, uh, some sort of change. You're going to feel those bumps. But I mean, I I think for anyone who really loves the game that much and believe, you know, believe in themselves, um, can put in that hard work. I think the junior college route, um, you know, you don't see it all the time, but you, you'll see a lot of quality players go that junior college route, whether it be from baseball basketball, football, all of it. Um, as long as you're going out there and uh, putting out your best work, you know, they'll find you. So that, that's really interesting um, going that junior college route. Yeah, definitely. It was, um, it, you know, and at the beginning of it, you're looking at it as, you know, why am I not getting recruited? It's a bad thing. Oh, I'm just going to a, to a junior college until, you know, you, you start getting in those fall games and you realize that, hey, like the talent here is pretty good. You know, it, it can be a fun year if you make it that, you know, and you have to be willing to kind of take a, a an ego check almost, you know, when you realize that you're not going to get even to a D2 level, you know, like you want to, you know, like I was trying to play at Chico State and Cal State East Bay and they, you know, they told me they didn't want me, like to my face. And so going to a junior college and feeling like I was being recruited somewhere, it felt good, you know, and so that kind of encouraged me. And like you said, a lot of these players really do think that they're, they can be better and they do think that they're D one or D two talent and they just need to, you know, have the at bats or have the innings to let it click and they need to get that playing time. And that's the most, most important thing is, is going, feeling comfortable, 
sometimes it's having a home cooked meal every night. You know, that's something for me. Like I have my best friends here three, four times a week at my house and I was just comfortable, you know, and, and I felt like it was a really good atmosphere to just improve. And so I highly recommend if, if it seems like you're not getting recruited or it's not going to work out for you, give junior college a chance, you know, for at least one year and see what happens. You know, you never know what's right around the corner with that. Yeah. I mean, give yourself that chance. And you kind of hit on it. These, uh, they're gonna be guys who believe that they have the talent and have been under recruited. And it's about there are two schools of thought there. You go to junior college, you're either, you know, just gonna be angry about um, not getting recruited at a higher level and not focus on improving your game and just, um, just stick with that feeling of I shouldn't be here, I should be elsewhere, and let that totally um, affect your situation. Or you can go the other route and be like, well, I have this chip on my shoulder. I feel like I should be at a higher level. I want to go out there, prove it, and make it happen. Um, so definitely um, cool. You evidently took the ladder, um, and that, that's cool to see. Yeah, it was it was a really fun time, you know, and, and I had a lot of friends who did the same thing. You know, they, they just improved and got better, and, and we had fun. So yeah. that's the bottom line. All right, um, so moving on, um, a bit more just specific. Um, what is uh, your pitch uh, repertoire looking like, and would you say you have a specific, like, out pitch? Yeah, so, you know, my repertoire has actually changed a lot over the years. Uh, you know, back in college when I was a starter, I felt like I needed five pitches. You know, I'm throwing four-seam, two-seam, curveball, slider, change-up, you know, and all these different things going through my head on how to use them. Whereas now I'm in the bullpen in pro ball where I've kind of had to shrink it down a little bit. And so I'm more of a, you know, one or two inning guy and I can't throw all those pitches. So it's turned into fastball, change up slider. And I've developed a new pitch this year, um, a cutter. So it's a cut fastball. And um, I'd say right now my best out pitch, probably my change up, but my slider's coming along pretty, pretty close behind it, you know, and, you got to be confident in all of them, but my best one, I'd say definitely change up. Yeah, that's what, uh, from that left arm angle when you're going at a righty, I feel like if you can throw a good change up as a lefty, it, it's going to be a phenomenal pitch because when you're throwing it into the righty, it's just going to buckle them because you see that fastball just has that late drop, gets it done. So yeah. definitely, um, I, I'm, uh, I've been working on my change up a lot. That I learned... <laughs> Uh, my when I was like ten, um, when maybe even younger, when uh my coaches were like teaching me about how you're throwing a four seam, um, I had one of my coaches taught me about a cutter where it's essentially a four seam grip. You just make a slight adjustment to your finger, um, mm-hmm. to get some spin on it. So I I've been dabbling with a cutter for a little bit. Um, yeah, dude, yeah. and and it's a big pitch in baseball right now. You know, I feel like everyone and their mothers throwing a freaking cutter. <laughs> you know. Because you look at probably one of the best pitchers of all time, Mariano Rivera threw a cutter, and he threw it. The, that was the only pitch yeah. he threw, and he got everybody out. So why not encourage everyone to try it and see if it works? And a lot of people are having a lot of success with it. So I figured the same with me. And I think that cutter, it's really um, – it's such a contrast pitch because it, it it's like the fastball. Obviously, it's cut to fastball. Um, maybe, a, you know, a little bit slower with that, just that late action in. Um, versus the slider, you're both you're having the same movement in terms of like laterally, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the slider's going to have that sharp tail. And then, I mean, the changeup's just totally in the other realm. So, again, right. I mean, that you're totally right. That cutter uh, becoming a bigger and bigger pitch. And if you can throw it well, it's, uh, it's uh, I mean, very, very hard to hit. Yeah. Well, and it just gets everybody off off the fastball a little bit because, you know, they, you throw it into a righty from the left-handed side and um, it, it just kind of surprises them. Like, whoa, what was that? You know, that was 85, 86. Like, okay, and then now he's late on 90. You know, it's it, it just – it opens up so much more and he has – they haven't even seen my best off speed yet. You yeah. Know, if, if that's, you know, the first two pitches you throw. And so it just opens up so many doors for um, pitchability. You know, yeah. just having that fourth pitch. When you have that differential where you're throwing the fastball, which, I mean, will be your hardest thrown pitch, um, and where you got the changeup and slider, um, that you're going to have that differential, and then you throw that cutter in there, which it's looking like a fastball, but it slows down and has that inward movement, it's uh, it, it's it's hard to gauge. So, I yeah. mean, when you're on with that, with that mix, it's, I mean, I guess – when you're on in any situation, you're going to be hard to hit. That's kind of rhetorical. Yeah. But um, mixing in that cutter definitely can be an effective pitch. Yeah, definitely. Um, third question. Um, is there someone that you've specifically modeled your game after or um, someone you looked up to as a pitcher? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm 26 years old now, so I, I've had a, a few a few years to uh, – a few different eras, I guess, to, to watch pitching. And so there's been a few different ones that I really enjoyed watching. Uh, my first, the first pitcher I really ever loved was Greg Maddox, just because he was small and didn't throw very hard, and but he just was lights out. You know, every time you watch playoff baseball and it's like Braves Yankees, who's pitching? Greg Maddox, who's winning in 78 pitches, complete game? Greg Maddox. You know, so as a kid, you look up and you're like, man, this guy doesn't look like a you know a beast or anything. He's just getting everybody out, you know? So I loved that about him. He threw so many strikes. And so that was just the original, you know, where I kind of fell in love with pitching. Um, And then growing up as a Giants fan, seeing Tim Lincecum kind of do it the opposite way where, but again, little, very small guy. Um, I think he was like 5'10", 175 pounds, and he was throwing 99, 100, 98 and it's like, whoa, how's this guy doing? It was just so fun to watch. And so um, he threw a similar change-up grip to mine. And so that's actually where I started to model that pitch after was Tim Lincecum. And so ever since then, I've thrown the same change-up. And uh, so I'm thankful that he was a giant and he won the World Series for them. And uh, that was one of my favorite guys to watch. My last one was Cliff Lee because he was left-handed and he just, again, got everybody out, you know. So he was he was pretty fun. Yeah, I'm uh... – I think as an overall baseball fan, I can uh, appreciate Tim Lincecum as a Padre fan. I mean, <laughs> I feel like you throw him out there right now with, you know, he's been like MIA recently. Throw him out there on a mound, he'll, uh, he'll no-hit my Padres. Yeah, but, I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say, he's got two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, I think, I mean, I'm definitely, I love those control guys that can get it done. Um, you know, they're not the power pitchers. It's not It's not a 6-5 you know, a, a massive guy going up there blowing, you know, triple digits by you. It's about that control and refinement. But then you you also got to mix, you, you know, you're not necessarily ideally looking to, you know, you want to throw as hard as you can. So when you, in the, I can't speak, um, like in contrast, a guy like Tim Linscombe, granted the way he 
literally pitched wasn't sustainable. You kind of have to take the like both concepts. You want to throw hard, um, but you have to you have to look at all schools of thought when um, when factoring that in. Same thing. I mean, Cliff Lee, um, lefty. You know, not not the hardest thrower. He got it done though. He threw strikes. He was he was nasty. I yeah. mean, a little bit before my era, but. <laughs> yeah, no, and the one thing I will say about Lincecum, though, um, he lost his stuff toward the end of his career, and he had to reinvent himself, you know, and, and speaking of that no-hitter, the first one, he was, I think, a little bit more on that higher end, throwing 92, 93, nasty slider, change up all of it, and then the second one, when he had the mustache and the short hair, you know, he was throwing 88, and he, he did it the same way, yeah, it was just a different, uh, a different mix of, of pitching, you know, yeah, so... That, that was the best part about him. That's what I love. I mean, all, like, jokes, memes aside, Bartolo Colon is a, is a perfect example of that. Um, actually, I read a book. Uh, it was it was a bit uh, it was a bit more tailored to uh, small children, but I read. I he nonetheless he put out a biography, and I mean he was just early in his career he was pumping. He was throwing you know triple digits. He was just relying on that fastball, blowing it by guys. Um, that's what that's what gave him success early. But then as time went on, similarly he had to reinvent himself. He wasn't you know, he wasn't able to throw that hard. And he had he had his struggles, but he was able by by the end of his career, he was throwing I mean, he wasn't throwing as he, as he barely threw his fastball and he was able to get it done. Because, yeah. like I mean, as you know, as up and down as he was, he he was an all star, I think. Was it it was twenty sixteen when it was when it, when it was in San Diego maybe twenty seventeen, um, guys that that's what it's about it's adapting. Um, mm-hmm. You got you got to be flexible. You got to know. Um, you got you got to be aware. If mm-hmm. something's not working, you can't. You obviously you want to try to correct it, but you need to acknowledge when when you need to make a change. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I love that word you said, flexible. You know, it's a flexible form of attack. You know, you need to be able to recognize what's going wrong and accept the fact that, okay, this isn't working. I'm not perfect. Let's find a way to hammer this out, you know, with whether it's work ethic or brain power, you know, you got to figure out a way to get better. So Bartolo, he started sinking the ball, cutting the ball. I think at one point there was one game, I think he was with the A's, maybe with the Rangers. I don't remember, but... Uh, I think I saw something. He set the record for most straight fastballs thrown. It was like 37 pitches in one, one like, stretch. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Whether it was a two-seam or a cut, you know, cut fastball, four-seam, whatever it was. You know, he was he was confident in that pitch, and it just kept going to it, even though it was like 86. Yeah. <laughs> so, pretty amazing. You know, they call him Big Sexy. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what he is, man. He's a 40-year-old awesome dude. Incredible. Yeah. Um, next question. Um, obviously, um, in the minors, you're you're gonna bounce around a little bit between you know triple A, single A, rookie ball, uh, all that good stuff. Um, when you're bouncing around different cities and different levels, um, how do you maintain being level headed and just focusing on your game? Um, well, I think the day to day isn't so tough. Um, I think. Obviously, there's some wrenches thrown in there with travel and, and getting called up or sent down or whatever it may be. Um, I think day-to-day, if you look at your routine and you, you try to execute it to the best of your ability 
and you're ready to go by game time, the rest of it kind of melts away. You know, something that I like to do, and I started doing this last year, about halfway through the year was, you know, getting out of the hotel room on the road in the morning. If I get up and I find a coffee shop or a nice little lunch place to go, um, that really helps me maybe grab a buddy. Hey man, let's go to target or something. There's usually something around our hotel that we can go and, uh, and just try to keep baseball at the field, you know, because you get enough of it. I mean, we're at the field 11, 10, 12 hours a day sometimes, you know? And so when you get back to the hotel, you kind of want to leave it there, maybe go get some food with your friends and, uh, you know, just relax a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, I will say getting called up or sent down to a different level, um, your routine is thrown off because, you know, there's examples that I've heard from guys who, you know, they get a call at 6 a.m. Hey, man, you need to get to the field. We're getting you on a flight at 9 and you're pitching tonight at 4. Like, get ready. You know, well, coach, I'm not I'm not going to get there until 3.30. Like, you're expecting me to be ready. Like, you got to be ready to go. So no matter what, you got to try to maintain your routine the best you can as soon as you get there. So uh, that's that's probably the, the one thing, consistency with uh, – the mental side is just being consistent with your routine. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, again, speaks to flexibility. Um, got, you know, got to be able to get that done. Um, yeah. Uh, routine. I don't have much more to add on that. I haven't, um, personally experienced, uh, going through the minor league system. Otherwise I would maybe be able to share a little more insight. (laughs) No, but I mean, you can have a routine with anything, dude. I mean, when you're going to school, guess what? With this whole COVID thing, your your routine got thrown off, you know? And so you had to develop a new one in order to maintain consistency in your mental health or your school or playing sports. Like you got to find a way to do something, you know, and, and have it be consistent or else you're going to go crazy, you know? So, um, you know, I, I bet you've got a routine that's, that's, you know, keeping you afloat, you know? I bet if you thought about it, you, you could probably create one. Yeah, during the during these times, I I'll be a hundred percent honest. It's a it's a bit more challenging, but you're you're right. You're you're yeah. totally right. That's applicable to really anything in life. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so moving on. Um, this is kind of more of a a looser one. Uh, do you have any favorite games or specific memories um throughout your career? Um, well, I have a lot of memories, but yeah. So there's a lot of time that we spend on the bus. And in hotel rooms and in clubhouses. And one year we got a ping pong table in the clubhouse. And that changed everything. Because it wasn't so much guys sitting around, you know, playing on their phone. It was more, okay, like we got some competition in, in between batting practice and the game, you know. And you're facing um, facing everybody, you know. And you figure out who's, who's good at stuff. And so uh, it, it was really fun to play ping pong. And you just, as soon as you win or you lose, you're right back on the table. You know, you want to get back on there to beat somebody, you know? And, um, I remember one, one, two week stretch, I think Zach Plesak, who was on my team in Lynchburg, I swear he beat me 10 games in a row and I got him the 11th game. And I was so proud that I like walked <laughs> off and I was like, Nope, I'm done. <laughs> so, you know, little stories like that. They, they, uh, they're fun. They're fond memories, you know, even though I lost 10 out of 11 games. <laughs> um, but there's, yeah, there's all these little things that we do that um, you, you think that they're just passing time in the, in the moment, you know, and they say, oh, wow, we, this sucks. We're on a 12-hour bus ride. But you look back and, you know, one of the, my favorite things to do is quiz people on, like, history stuff and just see how much people know. And so one time, you know, there's a guy named Ernie Clement who's one of my buddies, 
and he's at the taxi squad right now for the for the tribe and he knows all the presidents in order you know he knows every capital and you you find out what guys are made of really in those moments it's pretty fun to see you know how how uh how seriously guys can can be competitive so um it's pretty fun and then the last game I love to play is 20 questions but I'll do that anyway I'll play that with my family my girlfriend everybody <laughs> so yeah yeah, I mean, that the, your first example uh, with the ping pong table, I mean, I think it, not necessarily just the ping pong table, but that made me think kind of of like the Little League World Series and how just the great energy you're playing baseball, you're having, you know, you're having fun on the field and you're able to have that camaraderie um, off the field because it's important. You guys are all going through that um, grind of a season, regardless of really what level um, and finding um, things, you know, for you guys to bond off field, it's important because your teammates on the field, but you're also, you know, you're kind of going to have to not, not necessarily literally, but you're going to have to be living and, you know, working with these guys 24 seven. It's, um, definitely important to, and that, that friendly competition as well, um, just kind of fires everyone up, um, and gets that tempo going. So I don't know why, I don't know why when you said ping pong table, it just made me like, clicked in my brain with a little league world series yeah no i mean they they play games like that all the time you know they got they got cornhole they got ping pong they've got all those cool games at the little league world series it's always really fun to watch because they make it so much more about the kids as people rather than ball players you know which is really important to to realize as well is that we're not just ball players you know we we are people we have you know emotions and we deal with stuff off the field and we enjoy playing ping pong <laughs> yeah you know so uh, yeah no and we, I mean, there was a bunch of times we, we had doubles tournaments that got really heated and, you know, we, we got in some fights over, but you also, like you said, the bonding was between teammates. Like if I had a buddy, you know, who's playing left field, I'm sitting here in the bullpen right next to him and, and he's my teammate in ping pong. I'm like, come on, like, you know, make that play. Let's go. You know, I'm more inclined to, to root for my buddy. in ping pong. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of weird. Well, I don't know. And I mean, one thing that I kind of just thought of too, going back to like when you're moving up and down, I mean, there are going to be sometimes, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, where there are going to be some guys that you don't even really know very much. Um, and when you get that, when you're able to bond as a team um, off the field, you can you can create those connections. And I mean, that's what you want because you guys are all focusing on that same goal of improving as ball players and working your way up the system. So, I mean, I love to hear that. I think um, that should be something heavily emphasized um, is, you know, being able to um, work well off the field and have that fun. I mean, that that's totally funny. That sounds perfect. You got your, uh, you beat your buddy in uh, uh, table tennis. Then you go out there, he makes a nice play. You're rooting for him. That's what you can kind of <laughs> take out, take out some of the anger at each other, get a little, yeah. uh, win, you know, wins um, against each other. Then you can all play together against the uh opposition so <laughs> yeah no definitely i mean it, it's just it just adds so much more of like a flavor to it you know to that everyday grind that you mentioned you know it, it sometimes you just you wake up and there's days you don't want to go to the field but you have to and and it's those light little things you know throwing a football around playing with a frisbee you know if someone brings a dog to the field like oh my gosh i can't tell you how many times a dog has absolutely changed my day at the baseball <laughs> field you know because it's just green grass and dirt every day green grass dirt you know so um it, things that spice it up just make it so much better yeah i mean 
regardless of where you are, I feel like a dog can uh, fix your day. <laughs> yeah, no, that's no doubt about that. Um, uh, next, and I mean, this is, I mean, you can go kind of a number of ways with this question. Um, but are there a couple specific guys within the organization that, like, are your ride or dies and guys that you're very close with? Um, yeah, I, I would say there, there's a, definitely a few that over the years I've bonded with. Definitely, I wouldn't say that we bonded at first, you know, like best friends or anything like that. Um, but there are definitely a few guys who I've roomed with and I've gotten to know really well. Um, Sam Henches is one of my really close friends. And, you know, he recently got put on the 40 man, I believe it was 20 after 2018. And so I was really happy to see that for him because he works hard and he, you know, is super motivated. He's a really good pitcher and a really good person. And so, um, you know, there's, you know, Justin Garza went to Cal State Fullerton. Um, a guy I didn't know great at first. We played in Lake County together, but we didn't really bond until 2018. And, you know, Micah Minyard was one of my roommates who I lived with for a couple of years. I got to know him really well. Um, but overall, I will say we're all pretty close, you know, from even like the Latin players, Dalbert Siri is one of my closest friends in baseball, you know, and he calls me once or, you know, every two weeks and, and checks in, he, he speaks Spanish, you know, he's from the Dominican Republic. And so it's like, you make these, all these connections with people. And as long as you're nice and you care about them, just like you would want them to do for you, they're going to put their heart out on the line for you, you know, because it is a, it is a tough world though. I will tell you that like, you know, you're in it for yourself at, at some point, you know, you, you want it. It's about your career. And as much as you want the team to win, like the guy next to you doesn't care if you do well or poorly, you know, he's trying to get his job in the big leagues, you know, and again, you want the team to win. You want to be a great teammate. That's, that's first and foremost, but some of these guys don't really care about, about you that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it is nice to have people who, who care about you though. No, that, um, that's no, that's totally um, an aspect that's often lost is these guys. Um, not not everyone it has that team mentality, which I mean I get it. It's hard. Um, you're trying to get to that next level, um, and ultimately everyone else doesn't really affect your ultimate goal. But it's just you. You got to find the right guys. Um, you yourself. I mean, you can only control what you can control. Um, so you put your focus in the right spots. Um, you know, trying to help the team, uh, you know, being nice because same thing, all these guys are in the same boat. So whether or not, you know, you're rooting for a, another guy to fail, um, you're all going to go through those hardships and such. Right. Yeah. And, and you never want people to fail. Like that's, that's not, you know, it, it, it's never really entered. I, I don't, I hope it doesn't enter anybody else's mind. You know, I don't feel like I want anybody else to fail, um, because that's not making anybody better. You know, if, if, if you're rooting for the guy next to you competing for the same spot, it's going to boost you up and make you compete harder. You know, um, you know, I remember actually one of my really close friends, Robert Broom got called up to Lynchburg, which, which is high. And that was in his first year. And it was like, some guys were like, who, who is this dude? You know, like they were a little bit jealous because they were in the, the ranks for a little while. And this guy's flying through the system doing really well. And, you know, he's sitting there quiet and not talking to anybody. And so, you know, we actually went over and talked to him and, um, me and Micah and I, you know, and we became really close friends, you know, he's one of my closest buddies now. So it's crazy how that kind of happens and how certain things can start out 
kind of awkward and weird and then all of a sudden boom like something clicks and you're just great friends yeah i mean i feel like that's how it should be it should be um you should be competing within one another to raise each other's games absolutely Um, i yeah i definitely think um you know that's how you improve i think that's how as an organization you want to see your guys going out there and and just trying to put their best on the line which i mean it's what you gotta get i can't even speak you get that's (laughs) what you gotta do to get it done yeah no doubt no doubt um so this question i kind of thought of when um last time we um were in person when we talked um was was I think the Padres have recently acquired Francisco Mejia, who um, was with um, the Indian system previously. So I was asking you a little bit about him, um, your your experiences with him. But uh, who are some of the like bigger name guys that you've played with or uh, faced off against? Um, so, I mean, truly, when I go down the list, I mean, there's some high-profile guys on there. Um, Alex Bregman was really the first name that I – was like, wow, I know this guy's going to be big time. And he was, you know, um, Eloy Jimenez, you know, with the white Sox, he took me deep in my second, you know, at bat in Lynchburg, that was high a, and I was like, wow, this is a different level up here. You know, um, let me think Zach Collins who's in the big leagues with the white Sox. I walked him right before Eloy hit a home run against me. So, (laughs) um, so that's, I mean, there's you know in pro ball you're facing prospects at every level you're facing guys that are going to be in the show no matter what there's going to be one guy on that team you know and within my organization i've lived with guys in the big leagues right now um Plesak, who's rounding out the rotation with cleveland right now um killing it aaron savali i you know i talk golf with him all the time um shane bieber was my catch partner in mahoning valley and so i mean he's he's skyrocketed you know he's he's amazing right now yeah he's uh he's looking like the best pitcher in baseball right now and i mean we'll we'll see if he keeps that title but all i'm saying is i mean i predicted him to win al cy young if you guys (laughs) go back listen uh uh listen to episode i want to say four or so full mlb predictions as well as i put up an article with some of my predictions uh you can fact check me shane bieber (laughs) Call, call me out at the end if uh that doesn't hold true but no he's uh he's been incredible yeah, and he's a class act, too. You know, every day he was the same guy, you know, super, super nice, super mellow, no ego. He was very, very, like, down to earth, you know, and, and you just have – you have to have respect for a guy like that who handles his business professionally, takes care of his his routine, and is just a great person all around. Um, I'm trying to think of some other guys I've faced. You know, my first at-bat was actually against uh, – I believe he was an all-star with the Padres. was Chris Denorfia. That was my first Denorfia. at-bat in <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of a throwback. In, yeah. Uh, 2016, he was rehabbing with the Giants. And I, I'm sitting there like my first pitch is thrown, and I'm like, bro, I'm shaking because I know Chris Denorfia is a major league hitter for the Giants, you know. And so just, you know, but like I said, you kind of become numb to that. Because you see them and you know that, okay, I'm in the system too. Like, they've got to face me now. You know what I mean? And so it kind of flips the script when you're actually out, you know, between the lines competing with them. You say, how do I get this guy out? Instead of, uh, you know, oh my gosh, like, there's so-and-so. Yeah. That's what I mean. Chris Denorfield, that's a throwback here. I just (laughs) pulled it up. He was actually, I mean, I was kind of, I was too young at the time to really understand what he was putting up. He had some good years with the Padres. Yeah. Um, 
Definitely. Really That's a throwback though. name. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, looking at the Indians, you mentioned a bunch of the pitchers. Such a such a deep pool of, of pitching in that organization. I mean, you saw um, Kluber and Bauer gone. They just keep reloading. I mean, Clevenger and Bieber are studs. You got Savali. Um, just going to please Zach as well. I mean, they just they well, churn them out. Their bullpen too. I mean, they've got they've got a few dogs back there. What's too. his James? Did you care, James Karen Check? Yeah, that's what I've I've heard about him a lot. Yeah, I talk to Karen Check almost daily, and you know he's again the same person on and off the field. Love the love the person, super hard worker, and it shows on the field. He's lights out. You know, same thing with Cameron Hill made his big league debut this year, got his first save. Um, you know, all these guys are like I said, professionals. Like that's what it takes to get to the big leagues is being a professional and a hard worker and you never stop, you know, you never look and you say, wow, look how good I am. They're saying, where can I go? You know, that's, that's the difference between, I, I, I think the minor leagues and the big leagues is some guys sit and rest on their laurels and say, wow, look where I'm at versus, Hey man, like I'm not done. You know, I'm, I'm not done here. So, you know, you have respect for all those guys you you have to. They're yeah. awesome. So, um, here, this, this is a quick question. I mean, this isn't really on the script. Um, how do you feel? So you're an, you're an you've been an Akron rubber duck a little bit. How uh, you you a fan? What do you think of that uh, name choice? Yeah, I mean it, it's uh, it's a minor league name for sure. Um, you run into a lot of different weird things like Beloit Snappers, and you know those are turtles, I think. And then you run into the the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, and it's like, man, these are some crazy team names and mascots that they're coming up with mascots. Yes, you know so. The Rubber Ducks, you know, used to be the Akron Arrows, which, you know, I, I don't really know what an arrow is, but um, Rubber Ducks, I feel like, is definitely more of a marketable face. You know, you have a, a duck, you have, you know, I, I, I think it's pretty cool. Well, I, I mean, like it's, something, it's something you think of, like ru- like Rubber Duck, you're kind of like, huh? But it, it sticks in your head for sure. That's what I mean. Right. The Padres, we do... Um, in El Paso with uh, the Chihuahuas, I think. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do, like, we'll... I think it's margaritas. We'll turn mm-hmm. ourselves into the margaritas every once in a while. That same thing um, with the Giants. Um, I want to. Are they? I don't remember if they're. Are they still Fresno? I don't know if they're still Fresno in AAA. No, I think that's uh, Houston. I think that's Houston now. Houston might have just changed, but uh, yeah, I think the Giants are the Rivercats now. Yeah. Um. I don't. I, whichever their AAA is, I know. Um. They do. They turn themselves into the tacos like every Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. if you're going to be a minor league team, you might as well, you know, be a little gimmicky. Um, right. No reason not to. to sell. I just <laughs> I, I just was thinking about that. I thought I might throw that out there. Yeah. Um, Definitely some interesting jerseys, though. Like, you have, you know, all those cool um, – they have, like, throwback nights. We had a Sandlot night one, one year in uh, High A. We had literally, like, jerseys that had fence posts <laughs> on. It just said the Sandlot. And it was actually pretty cool. It was fun. They were – kind of ugly but you know you we always had fun wearing them yeah. you know and, and obviously you have you know breast cancer awareness autism awareness nights and then my personal favorite was just star wars night you're watching darth vader or r2 <laughs> and you know it's a fan favorite that's always a good one <laughs> man that's uh that's another, also sorry just just another question another <laughs> kind of off-topic random one so i know you see sometimes in the big league levels where there will be like travel days where they'll like kind of have some sort of like dress up or something kind of funny mm-hmm. have you do you ever do stuff like that um not so much dress ups in the minor leagues um it's more you know 
what we'll do is like a hazing type thing on the bus. And so I wouldn't call it hazing because it's not dangerous or anything, yeah, but yeah. we'll make guys sing songs. You know, you have to pick a song like by Taylor Swift or Carrie Underwood or something and sing it into the microphone so everyone can hear it, <laughs> you know? And, or you have to tell like a funny story, funny, like a couple funny jokes. And if you, if you don't get a laugh, you have to keep telling them or something like that. So it, <laughs> it can get kind of awkward. Um, but it, it's always great fun. You know, you're so nervous sitting there, like, don't call on me, don't call on me, don't call. Ah, and then you get up there and you belt out, you know, before he cheats and then everyone's laughing. And, you know, I, I remember one year, I think we, uh, we were on a little bit of a skid and instead of singing, I did like a Michael Scott style roast of the team. And so I called out 15 <laughs> different people and I just, Hey man, you're fat. Hey man, you suck. Like just boom, roasted. Like yeah. these, all these little things in it. It wasn't to be mean. It was to be, to keep things loose because yeah. everyone was kind of like, why are we losing? You know? And that I don't remember how we did after that, but uh, it was, I remember it being a fond memory. You know, I, I thought a lot of people got a good kick out of it. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. I love all the like little, like, you know, hazing, like obviously not, not malintent, but like, right. Uh, like when you see the rookie relievers, like with different backpacks, like I have another Padres oh, yeah. done, like, you know, princess, like Yoda. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember we have, uh, a uh, family friend, uh, Nick Noonan, who, uh, he was a sandwich round pick, um, I think first, um, comp round, um, by the, uh, San Francisco Giants, and then when he was, uh, making his big league debut here in San Diego, we, like, waited outside to, um, to say hi and stuff, and he was, like, carrying all the bags and, like, was <laughs> holding, like, the Gatorades and stuff. I mean, yeah. it's all in good fun. I, I, you know, makes for good entertainment and, and keeps it loose, you know? Uh, right. good way to... Um, kind of get to know you and, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately just back to it. I keep saying the same thing, but keep it loose. Right. No. And, and I think it makes you feel a little bit welcomed, you know, like, Hey, we have this backpack for you. You're the rookie. It just means that you're a rookie. You have to do it. We all did it, you know, get used to it and get through it. And guess what? You're a big leaguer on the other side. You yeah. know, you're a veteran and then you get to welcome somebody else. And so it's, it's kind of like a passing of the torch. So yeah, I think that's a really cool you know, ritual. All right. So my last uh, big question for you, maybe, you know, go a little more free um, is what's the biggest aspect of your game that you're currently working on the most? So the last few years, um, you know, I've had some success. I've had a a good amount of failure. And so I've obviously had to change and adapt over time. But right now, the thing I look back over the last three years has been my strike throwing. You know, I, I've gotten by with, you know, throwing off-speed pitches for strikes and getting swing and miss out, outside of the strike zone. But I'm currently working on getting my fastball command to, to catch up with the rest of my off-speed pitches. Like, that's by far my worst strike-throwing pitch. Um, and I don't really, you know, it, it's just some delivery flaws that you got to clean up. It might be, you know, something going wrong with your body as far as, like, in the weight room, how you know, your, your joints may be moving and you don't even know. And so, you know, it's just like we talked about earlier, diving into what's going on and getting, you know, an assessment on your body. Is everything working? Okay. Is it my pitch sequencing? Is it my pitch velocity? Is it what pitch I threw here? You know, or if I located this pitch, would it have gotten hit? You know, it's those type of things that you just got to look at and say, Hey, I got to get better. And so, for me, the thing I'm really trying to lock in on is just throwing that fastball in the strike zone, you know, being confident that I can get it by a, a hitter. 
Yeah, I mean, makes sense. And that kind of finding a middle ground between you got to keep that routine going, but you need to make sure you're not just going through the motions. You have to do 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 diligence and be honest with yourself. You need to be aware of, the, you know, if you're making mistakes, if there are certain tweaks. And I mean, especially uh, especially as a pitcher, I mean, the same goes as a, a batter as well, excuse me. Um, but with that repetition, especially on the mound, whether it be, you know, the wind up, get, you know, getting your grip going, your, your just general routine in terms of like bands, uh, weight, uh, like weight room, all that you, you want to keep, you want to keep on a steady pace, but you have to be aware and adapt when things, you know, are going one way or the other. Right. And you got to keep this in mind too. Like your body changes from year to year, you know, one year you might work out really hard and you know, take that for granted the next year and, and things change. And now certain drills don't work for you and they're causing your problem. So you have to mix it up, you know, consult the coach and say, Hey, where can we change this? You know, what can we do to make it better? You know? Yeah. And that's one thing. I mean, you, you, this, this really can apply to just about anything. And I mean, as someone who, whenever I'm writing like my articles, I'll make plenty of mistakes is, um, you need to self assess, but it's also really important to consult others because when you mean whenever you're whatever you're doing you've done it so many times and you can notice things but um when you're assessing yourself there are gonna be things that just naturally you don't see so when you get those other opinions um you got to make sure you take it like you know constructively um Mm -hmm. and get that other feedback so you can improve um and get that help because there's no reason i mean it doesn't make you weaker or inferior. You, you, there's no reason you should be doing it on your own. Um, you should benefit from those additional resources and make sure um, you're consulting others to keep improving your game. Yeah, and I mean, there's a story I just heard recently from an author named Daniel Coyle. He's a, a New York Times bestseller of the Talent Code, and it's a book you know that he wrote, and he talks about Wayne Gretzky. And how his teammates would come in early and, and for some reason, the, one of the greatest skating hockey players, I mean, probably the greatest hockey player of all time, if not you know the best, he was one of. And he's on the ice skating and then he's falling. And they're like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, I'm trying to you know push the edge. I'm trying to figure out how far I can go before I fall. And he was falling and getting hurt and falling and getting hurt. And it's like, but he's learning, you know, and he's he's taking his ego and putting it in this box and saying, okay, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm not afraid to fail. You know, I'm going to get better because I'm failing in practice, you know? And so making mistakes for humans, you're, you're supposed to make mistakes. You're going to, you're going to fail, but it's how you learn from the mistakes and come back stronger. Yeah. I mean, that's that dog mentality. That's gonna, that's going to take you places. That's, um, that's an interesting story. I mean, would expect that from someone as great as his level um, of play. So, kind of, I mean, if you have anything to add before we kind of go into some general discussion, feel free um, to butt in. But just kind of talking about um, your thoughts um, on this MLB season thus far, what are some things that you've been picking up on, um, some guys that stand out, um, what you think of this whole situation um, of keeping the players safe and such, kind of free reign. Um, go ahead. Yeah, well, first of all, I was super happy to have baseball back on TV. I mean, this is like the first time in my since my pro career started that I've been able to actually watch baseball during the regular season because I'm not playing right now. Um, but 
I've been super happy to watch, you know, some of my buddies on, on the, on the TV and, and watching them do well. And they're killing it right now. Um, I have noticed that there's been quite a few injuries with pitching, you know, and that just leads to a few broader questions about, you know, workload during the break that they had, you know, how many guys were getting realistic, you know, reps like they would in spring training, you know, just because of the access that they had to, you know, supplies, a field, a bullpen, uh, a coach, a catcher, like how many times have you faced hitters and you go out there and you're facing big league hitters and you're at max effort and your heart's pounding and all of a sudden your body's not used to it and things blow out. And so that's the first thing I've noticed is a lot of injuries. And the next thing I will say is a lot of strikeouts coming from the hitters around the league, you know, and I think the pitchers sharpen up over the last two. They've definitely gotten better since, you know, opening day, but you see some of the top tier talent not doing great at first. And then they kind of, they click, but I have noticed a lot more strikeouts this year, even than in years past when numbers have been taken up. Yeah, um, that's what definitely it's that weird balance because um, obviously um, being quarantined and then it, it's a weird like time period that people haven't faced because you want to stay fresh, but there is so much uncertainty about when you're going back. Kind of hard to figure out that um, load. So definitely you saw you see those effects um, on the mound with injuries and some inconsistencies. And you see it at the plate too, um, just kind of getting into the flow of things. That's what, like Christian Yelich, he's struggled. We all know he's one of the best hitters in baseball, but it's about, um, you know, it's, it's hard to be able to pace yourself going into that season. Um, looking at, I think for their like, like preseason, whatever, exhibition games, they were kind of easing him in, which is fair. But it's hard. It's been hard to find that perfect balance of how guys should be getting repetitions and stuff um, to continue success for the year. Right, and and you just don't like I said, you just don't know what they were capable of doing. You know, like during the off season, some guys have access to a full gym, and then all of a sudden you get home and they're closed. You know, whereas other guys are totally separating themselves and making them themselves a career right now because they were able to stay ready even though that they might be a middle-of-the-road player, but they had access to facilities, they had access to technology that can help them improve, and they had the ability to social distance and be safe while working hard, you know, whereas other guys might have just had a medicine ball or a rock in their backyard, you know? Yeah. So um, those I've seen a lot of parity, I guess, between talent this year. You know, a lot of guys are doing really well, but a lot of guys are also doing... Not not as well as they traditionally would. Yeah. I mean, it, it's an unprecedented season. You really, um, you don't know what you're going to get from it. Again, I'm just, I'm thrilled to have it back. I'm thrilled for, I mean, Padres, we just took one from the Diamondbacks, one 3 nothing. I, you know, I love to see the Padres, even just before the season started, I could say the Padres weren't out of it at the end of July. I mean, <laughs> the first time I can really say it in my life. But um, it's been incredible to watch. And it's weird because typically this many games in, obviously you can only make so many overreactions. But we're already already at the point where these games are, you know, every game matters in this season. And we're already, you know, not not a massive chunk, but it's a fair portion of the season that's already going to go by and it's going to keep going by and by. So the one interesting thing to me 
for multiple reasons, is what the trade deadline's going to look like because there are going to be a flurry of teams that are going to be, you know, uh, kind of clumped in the middle um, near those back-end spots for the playoffs. And you're going to have to, as organizations, you're going to have to determine if you're going to buy, if you're going to sell, if you're going to do a little bit of both, if you're going to hold. And also, given um, the circumstances, the whole coronavirus implications, um, what it'll be like moving around. Because there have been a couple mini-trades. Um, Padres uh, traded Franchi Cordero and uh, Ronald Bolaños for Tim Hill. But other than that, I mean, we really haven't seen, like, trades, which it's going to be kind of a, a curveball through, um, you know, the coronavirus and stuff. And I'm not, that's not to say, like, we throwing a guy in there, it's, like, going to expose him or anything, of course. But um, it, it's different than most trade deadlines because we're in these unprecedented times um, of, like, I can't, I can't say it as I want, but typically <laughs> when, when, when July 31st comes around, um, you're going to have a clear picture um, as, one, um, an organization, which direction you're going to go. Obviously, there's always going to be people in the middle ground, but also as certain players, you know, you never for sure know how you're going to go. Baseball is an unexpected game, but you're a guy who's like, um, take, we'll, we'll say like, like Ken Giles, for example. And I'm, this is just like for sake of putting a name to it. Um, mm-hmm. a, a very good reliever on a team that in a regular season would probably definitely, um, be trying to get rid of him at the deadline, um, in a contract year, send him to a contender. But this year with that shorter window, it's a lot more up in the air because, um, they could find themselves in, you know, closer to a contending spot. And also, what is a team going to fork over for, um, yes, you know, you're still trying to win a World Series as usual, but how much are you going to give up for guys at the deadline um, to play another, you know, 30 games? So, I mean, that's one thing I'm super interested to look at um, as it gets closer to August 31st. Yeah, definitely. I think um, they were talking about this on MLB Network the other day and how we're only 14 games or days or 17 days or 16 days, whatever it is, into the season. And that's typically the mid to end of April, you know, but by the ratio of 14 to 162, we're technically at the end of May going into mid June now with the numbers, you know, and how, how quickly that's approaching. And, and there's a lot of teams with the expanded playoffs again this year, you know, think about a couple of years back when it was just eight teams with the wild card making the playoffs yeah you know eight teams and so you had a very clear-cut picture of the top the middle and the bottom you know so you had let's say the giants selling x y and z for a team in the nle or al east trying to win a title you know and getting back their top prospects now you've got 15 teams who are going to be over 500 you've got at least one team that's going to be under or potentially under under 500 making the playoffs could that could happen so it's going to be very 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 interesting to me um as to what's going to happen with players flipping back and forth because there's probably gonna be 24 teams in the hunt you know that could come down to that final two or three games and that's a lot of players you know hoping to buy you know and not a lot hoping to sell yeah i think the next few weeks is really going to wake a lot of uh owners up and a lot of gms that are going to be looking and saying okay, what do we realistically have on the table and what are we willing to give up? You know, I, I don't know. I have no idea how it's going to shake out. Yeah. It's going to be super, 
you know, you just keep saying the word unprecedented and that's what it is. You can't even make an, like a, an assessment of it because we just don't know how it's going to work. Yeah. Um, and I mean, with the unprecedented season, it is, yeah, f- uh, big word of the day coming here from the Redshirt <laughs> Podcast, unprecedented. Um, when you look at some of the rule changes for this um, unprecedented season, such as um, the runner on second um, in extra innings, the, like, doubleheader, um, seven-inning games, uh, then, I mean, this probably won't only be for this year, but the three batter minimum, as well as, I mean, even the roster changes. What are your thoughts on some of these, um, special rules? Well, and you, you had the, uh, DH. DH as well. Yes, too. obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's obviously a, uh, a good time to try it, to see some of these things that they want to implement and use this year as a trial run, you know, why not expand the playoffs and give as many teams a chance you know, that probably, you know, could have had a chance. Um, I do, I don't necessarily love the double header seven inning rules because it kind of, I guess, D, I guess, unvalidates is the word I'm looking for. Unvalidates the major league aspect of it. Every game in history has been nine innings or more, you know, and that's what you expect to play. You know, it, it brings it back almost to high school baseball. Last time I remember playing a seven inning game. Yeah. You know, and we do it in the minor leagues, but it's not big league baseball when it's seven innings. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm a fan of the three batter rule for sure, because it makes you a more complete pitcher. You're not relying on some guy who just comes in throwing sidearm, getting one batter out with one pitch and see, ya, that's the end of his career or end of his day. And he's making a million dollars. Like you got to earn your, your keep in the big leagues. Now, you know, you gotta, you gotta get righties and lefties out. They're going to structure lineups around it. Um, I'm a fan of the DH in both leagues, though. I really do like that because it it makes you focus on your craft 100% of the time. You know, hitters can hit. Pitchers can pitch. You know, you don't have to worry about bunting, and it, which is a lost art in the game. And as you mentioned, the runner on second base rule, you know, I was watching an Indians game, and the first first time they did it, the Royals actually beat them because they got a bunt down and a sack fly. They actually scored a run without, you know, yeah. getting a base hit. And it was... There's been a lot of hubbub about it, and you know, not really sure how people feel. But I do like that both teams get the same opportunity. It just, you know, it depends on how you want to do it. Do you want to try and hit the bomb, or do you want to try to, you know, small ball at home? Yeah, I think uh, DH. I'm totally for. I think it's about time. I get it, um, traditionalists. Um, but but there's no reason for there to be that disparity between leagues. And now it opens up the opportunity for guys. Um, like a J.D. Martinez, Nick Castellanos, those guys can rake. And, you know, they're not going to be much in the field, but it totally opens up their market to both sides. And now it creates a whole new strategy for how you guys. And, I mean, I'm an NL guy, so I've always, you know, seen more of the pitchers hitting. Guy, I mean, think about you throw guys like Max Scherzer's, um, all those big money guys at the plate. Why are they hitting? They're right. They're paid to pitch and, you know, so you you can look at the numbers this year. The DH has really struggled, but you're putting batters up there versus you're you're putting pitchers up there who are paid to pitch. What what's the what's the point of of that? I I look. I'm a fan of bunting. I'm a fan of all kinds of strategy, but it just doesn't make sense to me. Why why should you be putting up your prized you know left handed guy that's throwing a hundred? He's dealing. Why why should he have to go up there, stand in for three strikes, and go back? Right. Um, I just, and I, I'm for, you know, 
equality from both sides of the league. So I, I like the um, the DH rule. In terms of the three batter minimum, I go back and forth on. Um, I think um, what you brought up was something people don't think about a lot, which is you do have to um, make yourself a complete pitcher, which I think, I mean, makes sense. It's something that people should strive for. Obviously, you know, you're going to see a lot of lefties that do better against lefties. That's natural. Um, but you, you do have to work more as a complete pitcher. Uh, what I don't like is it takes away a little bit of the strategy from, um, as a manager, but I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, um, how I feel about it. You know, time will tell. I don't think it's awful. Um, I, I, I feel like, I don't know if it's really going to do much, you know, like Manfred wants for the pace of play, but I don't necessarily hate it. The runner on second, I really don't like for a couple reasons. Um, that's what I think after the game you were talking about, Mike Clevenger was um, was throwing some shade at it on Twitter, which, I mean, he's right. Because ultimately, just, you know, you're, you, you said it, they both get the same opportunity. But when you throw a runner out there on second for both teams, it, one, already puts a reliever in that high leverage situation, which uh, I just don't think... Makes sense because you you can score a run, you bunt him over, you you can get sack fly. I just don't think that's how baseball should be played. As well as, I think almost every rule that they change now is is in mind of pace of play, which I understand, but it doesn't really fix it because if you still have that same opportunity, maybe there in theory will be more action, but that doesn't mean there's going to be more disparity between you know. Uh, runs being scored because it can be a more high scoring, but that doesn't mean it's going to end in the tenth inning. So I'm not I'm not a fan of the uh, runner on second base. That sounds like a ten u travel ball California tiebreaker kind of rule. Um. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And and yes, I was talking about Mike Clevenger, and I saw some of his tweets, but um, he made a couple great points. You know, you shouldn't be able to score without hitting. You know, you shouldn't. It, it's it's kind of dumb. You know, and um, I, I really just – there's so many things that can go different there. Like, what if the last out of the inning is a catcher that is really slow and it's putting a team at a disadvantage now because Greg Allen, who's one of the faster guys on the Indians, could have made the last out, and now he's a speed threat on second base with nobody out. You know, so now that team might feel like a, at a disadvantage. You know what I mean? Yeah, like and then – Salvador from, Perez is on second base. Yeah, and then, you, I mean, you have to dig into the bench. And again, like – I, I, I like strategy. I, that's that's why I love baseball, strategy. But that's just, it's dumb, I think. Um, it puts the relievers in such a weird spot, and it doesn't fix the whole concept of pace of play, which I you can't fully fix it. Um, I know it, it's all about watchability. It's hard for the average person to sit through, you know, uh, maybe three three-and-a-half-hour game. And you can work little things, but ultimately – the game is the game, and you can only change it so much to fit, um, um, you know, that time slot without it, you know, the concept of the game being crushed. Right. Um, because ultimately, baseball baseball needs to improve its marketing, but you can't change the game because then you're taken away from your diehard group, and you can't focus too much on getting, um, you know, the casuals more into it by trimming it by 15 minutes because ultimately... That 15 minutes isn't going to make a difference. Baseball is not a one-hour sport. That's not what it's made to be. Um, 
and you're ultimately you can't you can't change that. Right. Yeah. No. If you're watching a baseball game, I think it's pretty well understood that you're locked in for three hours. You know, whether it's you know a fair weather fan or someone who's watched the game their whole life, I think people want to appreciate that this is a very unique sport. You know, and it's a game specific to its own, and it's been around for a long time and been a certain way for a long time. And there are certain things that they're doing, yeah, that are changing it. But some of them are good. You know, and and I do think that they make sense. Whereas the other side. There are some that don't, you know, and you are taken away from the integrity and the the history of the game, and I don't I don't deem it necessary. Yeah, I think you know I, mean, I mean, I I find myself in between. Um, there's a little bit of traditionalist in me as well as more of a innovative forward thinker. Um, there are certain things about baseball that don't need to be touched, but I think at uh the general population at any move that's implemented is yeah, uh, there's kind of that negative outcry. Um, just because, you know, but, you know, baseball is fine as it is. It's perfect. And no, ba- baseball, greatest sport on earth, no question. Um, but there, there are going to be certain things that can help improve the game. And part of that comes from the stigma of, you know, Rob Manfred, big bad Manfred, which look, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the guy, but you, you can't look at everything and immediately say no to it because there, there are going to be things put in place that will improve the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, I give him credit for trying. You know, I, I don't know, um, I, I don't know enough to have an opinion. Truly, like I'm just someone in the game. Um, you know, I, I know he's he's working really hard to make it better, and and he's gone through with it. You know, and so that's always really good to see that he's standing by his you know his uh, his work. You yeah. Know? So that's that's good to see. Um, he's not really going back on that, and and he's he's doing what he says he's going to do. So. Um, you can always appreciate that, you know, no matter how it turns out. But like you said, it is the greatest game on earth, and it's back on TV, and we're sitting here watching it. You yeah. Know? So. I mean, I am totally here for it. That's what I mean. The NBA is back. Um, hockey's back. I've watched a little bit of hockey, but ultimately I'd rather just spend my whole day on MLB TV flipping through the channels, watching some baseball. I mean, I get it. Ba- baseball is not for everyone. It's it's a, You said it. It's a very unique sport. That, you know, at times it's going to be, you know, it's very hard to stay locked in that whole time. But, I mean, for me, I'm totally content. Sit there, you know. I wish I was uh, at Petco Park, Section 109, Route 35, Seat 1. You know, just being able to, I'll, I'll use the bathroom, you know, grab a pretzel, grab a bite to eat. And, I mean, just enjoy it. That That's me. And um, there's only so much you can do. It's kind of, you're going to have your preferences and that. That's what it boils down to. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like I'm just kind of leading the way. Um, anything else, just MLB specifically, that you that you want to bring up that you found interesting through this season? Um, I mean, we we knocked out a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel I feel like we've uh we've hit on hit it on the nail, hit the head, hit the nail on the head, hit the nail on the head. <laughs> there you go. Um. No, I, I think, I mean, I think we covered a lot of it, dude. Um, I, I'm really, you know, interested about these playoffs, you know, because I do think adding a whole lot of fan bases will, you know, bring in some, some interest for the sport because there will be so many rounds of the playoffs. So there's a three-game series as a wild card, you know, against all the second-place teams, you know, which I don't know how I feel about the second-place team getting in the playoffs. It feels a little bit like a, you know, participation trophy, but at the same time, 
it's involving a lot more people and revealing the true champion. Yeah. Rather than someone who skated by all season at 84 and whatever, 76, is that the number? 84 and 78. 78. Um, Yeah. And they, they win the last three games of the season against the team that's ahead of them. Like that's sometimes kind of lucky, you know, and, and almost doesn't, deem them the best team whereas if you throw everybody into this pile and you say okay these teams are the top 15 or 16 and these are very much the bottom dwellers here they're not going to make it let's see who's the best out of the best you know yeah and i mean say say what you want about the way it's formatted but i think it was a terrific move by baseball because in this shortened season we're being robbed of you know a a hundred and two additional games for our teams so uh if you want to keep the fan base um, into it, especially for those of lesser organizations. I mean, uh, you you throw eight teams into the playoffs, it keeps everyone more adve- invested, and it's more baseball, which um, that that's the one thing that can help make up for a sixty game season. Like for me, I mean, I'm a I'm a Padre fan. I haven't seen I I don't see ba- uh, playoff baseball to begin with. You throw this in. Um, it's gonna. I'm actually gonna be watching. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully I'll be able to watch some playoff baseball, not just uh, for sake of the game. But that's what you're gonna see. Um, so many opportunities for these teams that you're fighting this six, you know, sixty game season. Um, it's already shortened. Why not throw in those condensed series in the playoff? And maybe, I mean, it's not perfect. I don't think the way it's set up this year should be necessarily continued although I, i'm here for maybe a slightly expanded playoff um mm-hmm. why not what, what more baseball say what you yeah. want to say what you want about how um you know the formatting how it should be played you know I, I i don't love the second place guarantee but it's more baseball more teams involved sign me up yeah no i'm i'm right there with you on that um it it just it makes sense you know especially with it's baseball you don't know enough about a team 60 games into a season you know that's the end of may no Look that's the what, washington national that's what exactly yeah. the washington nationals you wouldn't have been there i mean padres even i mean we were we weren't too bad the first half of the year um right so i mean you take a team like that i mean i don't even know if the nationals would have made it in the 60 like they, they probably wouldn't have even been close and probably then they not, no. 70 and 30 or whatever it was and that was you know they were clearly the best team they won four games against the best team in the past probably five years yeah the houston astros and so um tip your hat to them and i really just think it, it'll be super super interesting mm-hmm. this year you know i I'm, mean I'm, I'm, I'm excited crazy year might as well go all out with um the madness yeah um, <laughs> uh i think i mean that's about all the time we have anything you wanna you wanna add before we uh sign off no, I'm just uh, super happy then, and I feel pretty lucky that you asked me to be on the show, man. That was it was awesome. I'm I'm super happy to be on, and uh, you know, hopefully, you can have me on uh, in the future. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm definitely down to talk more with you. Um, super knowledgeable, loved uh, to pick your brain. Um, thank you guys for listening. Make sure check out the podcast or. This is the podcast. I swear, I, I always make some sort of mistake, and I don't want to edit. I, I don't want to edit just for those listening. I really don't edit them. I want it to be as candid as possible. So yeah. you, you're hearing all the mistakes. Um, <laughs> check out the blog, um, the redshirt dot blog, um, the Instagram the dot redshirt, um, the Twitter uh, at the redshirt blog. Um, stay tuned. Have a 
we're working on some different projects, me and, um, you know, some other outside parties. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in to the Red Shirt Podcast. Yeah.